I guess I like to report a crime. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Ian Castleberry. I'm a writer, editor, and podcaster. You can currently find my work at iancastleberry.com, that's C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y, and through Twitter at Ian Cass. Originally, my hopeful plan for this episode was to revel in the afterglow of a big Detroit Lions win over the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football. The Lions long a local and national punching bag, and deservedly so for their decades of losing football, have played well in their first four games of the 2019 season, maybe better than many NFL fans realize. And this was a prime opportunity to demonstrate to a national audience during the only NFL game on at the time that they were truly a playoff contender this year, beating a longtime rival at Lambeau Field, the Packers' home stadium, which is typically a pit of misery and losing for the Lions. Green Bay looks like one of the best teams in the NFC, especially after beating the Cowboys last week in Dallas 34-24. But maybe the Lions are one of the NFC's top teams too. Winning in Green Bay would have been confirmation. Unfortunately, this podcast is going to be a rant and bitch fest as the Lions suffered through some of the worst officiating I've ever seen in an NFL game, and I'm not the only one, resulting in the Packers kicking a field goal as time ran out and winning the game 23-22. to I can't remember the last time I've been so angry about one of my teams losing. What happened in here? We was robbed! Twice in the fourth quarter, Detroit defensive end Trey Flowers was penalized for illegal use of hands, supposedly grabbing or pushing into the face mask of a Packers offensive lineman. But replays showed that Flowers was actually grabbing or pushing David Bakhtari's shoulder pads near the neck, at the neckline. To be fair, at full speed with Bakhtiari bending his neck back, it probably looked like Flowers was pushing up into his face mask. Hell, if you look at the replay closely, Bakhtiari had his hands in Flowers' face mask. But the referee, especially on the second penalty, was also in position to see the play correctly. ESPN's Booger McFarlane, the Monday Night Football analyst and a former defensive lineman himself, couldn't believe that those calls were made. Let's take a look at number 93 Flowers and watch where he puts his hands and see if he gets him to the face there. Right now, he's on the shoulder pad. He's still on the shoulder pad. I'm trying to figure, when does he actually put hands to the face there? That's why you see Trey Flowers. He is so upset because he knows his hand was not on the face mask, and the referee, Cleve Blakeman, they got fooled there. I mean, that goes from a sack to a first down. That's inexcusable. That cannot happen on a play like that. And Trey Flowers is so strong, he's pressing Bakhtiara back. That, that's a bad call. That can't happen. The first hands-to-the-face penalty wiped out a Lions sack, which would have ended a Packers drive at the Green Bay 45-yard line. Three plays later, the Packers scored a touchdown, cutting Detroit's lead to 22-20. to The second penalty negated a third down incompletion by Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. 
Yes, Green Bay probably would have kicked a field goal for the lead after that, but the Lions would have had 1 minute 36 seconds left to drive for another field goal and the win. With no timeouts remaining, maybe it wouldn't have happened, but it was a chance Detroit never had, thanks to the terrible call on Flowers. As you can imagine, Flowers wasn't happy after the game when talking to reporters. I didn't think uh, hands to the chest was a penalty. I, I thought hands to the face, but I had him right here in the chest. Second time I changed it to right here. That's part of a move that I do. By the way, Flowers has never been called for an illegal hands-to-the-face penalty in his previous three full NFL seasons. As he said, that's one of his moves, and it's never been misinterpreted by an official on the field before. Sure, you can say I'm biased as a Lions fan, but objectively, the wrong call was made. Search Twitter. Search Google. Watch ESPN's SportsCenter after the Monday Night Football broadcast ended. Reporters like the Boston Globe's Ben Valin, analysts like ESPN's Lewis Reddick, former players like Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, and Barry Sanders all thought that those were terrible calls. Read almost any story or column written on the game. It's difficult to find anyone who didn't think that those penalties were wrong. Terrible calls by the officials, and the Lions weren't screwed out of a win. It looks even worse when those bad calls favor the home team. Would this have happened if the game was played in Detroit? Even Packers fans will acknowledge that the referees were wrong. NFL fans and observers are pissed off because Monday night was the latest example of poor officiating affecting the outcome of games, staining the perception of the sport. If referees can't get their calls right and video replays show that the calls were terrible, it makes the NFL look bad. It creates the idea that these games aren't being played under fair circumstances. It makes the NFL look unprofessional when its officials, those charged with enforcing the rules of the game, display such poor performance. It's embarrassing. And those were hardly the only bad calls made against the Lions Monday night. On Detroit's final possession of the game, Green Bay's Will Redmond draped his arm across the chest of Lions receiver Marvin Jones before the ball reached him, preventing him from being able to make a catch. That's practically the definition of pass interference. Yet Redmond wasn't called for it, and the Lions didn't have a first down, being robbed of a chance to extend their 22-20 lead. After another incomplete pass, Detroit had to punt, giving the Packers their chance at the game-winning field goal. Early in the second half, Detroit's Tracy Walker was penalized for unnecessary roughness on a play where he collided helmet-to-helmet with Green Bay's Geronimo Allison. On a helmet-to-helmet collision, the referees are almost certainly going to call a penalty on the defender. And the collision looked especially bad when Allison was injured and had to leave the game. But the penalty implies an intentional effort to hurt a player, with the defender using his helmet as a weapon as he launches himself at an opponent. Walker was clearly trying to catch or knock away the football, which is what he's supposed to do as a defensive player. He was making a football play, as the officials would say. Walker has as much right to go for the ball as Allison did. The contact was accidental. Obviously unfortunate when helmets collide, but unintentional. Yet the Packers gained 15 yards on the penalty and eventually kicked a field goal to tie the score 13-13. 
The NFL could very likely admit on Tuesday, maybe by the time you've listened to this podcast, that the referees made the incorrect calls twice and cost Detroit the ball game. ESPN analyst Lewis Riddick rightly said that the NFL needs to explain how those calls were made incorrectly. But so what? What comes of that other than, sorry, our bad? Will changes actually be made because of this? As our friend Ernie Estrella suggested, should an official in a replay booth be a part of the referee crew and overturn his colleagues as if he were on the field? Especially when TV cameras clearly show what referees can miss? Should every play, every type of call be eligible for replay review? Do younger, more athletic, full-time referees need to be hired? Do there need to be more officials on the field? None of that probably happens this year, certainly not during the season. Losing games costs coaches and players their jobs. It costs teams ticket and television revenue. People's livelihoods are affected by this terrible officiating. That's not being overdramatic. The New Orleans Saints were robbed of going to the Super Bowl and a possible championship last season because officials missed an obvious pass interference call. Pass incomplete, no flag for Tommy Lee Lewis. Nikel Roby Coleman delivered a hit. And the two officials talked to each other. Crowd's going crazy as there's no flag right on the Saints' sideline. Well, if Nikel Roby Coleman plays the ball, it's an interception. It's probably going the other way with it. I mean, the ball's on the other side of Roby Coleman, and but that should have been a penalty. Six teams qualify for the NFL playoffs from each conference. With a record of two wins, two losses, and one tie after five games, the Lions currently hold 11th place in the NFC. Had they won Monday night and improved their record to 3-1-1, Detroit would be 7th, right on the edge of qualifying for the playoffs. Okay, the Lions still have 11 games to improve their standing. Maybe they can still make the playoffs. But when teams are typically bunched together for positioning at the end of the season, one loss can be the difference between making the playoffs and being finished for the year. Lions coach Matt Patricia and his job performance would be viewed much differently if his team made the playoffs in his second season rather than missing out two years in a row. Though Patricia will be viewed favorably if Detroit has a winning record after finishing 6-10 last year. As a sports fan, I don't typically complain about the referees and claim they were the reason my team lost. It's usually a cop-out. There was no conspiracy. The result of a game isn't really decided by whether or not referees made the wrong call. The team you're rooting for should have scored more points, made more plays to make sure that a referee's bad call didn't matter. It should never get to that point. And ultimately, that applies to the Lions here too. Too many scoring opportunities ended with field goals rather than touchdowns. Detroit knocked Green Bay back on its heels on the very first possession of the game, gaining 66 yards on a long pass and eventually drove to the Packers' 8-yard line, but couldn't get into the end zone and had to settle for a field goal. 
The Lions scored a touchdown on their second possession, but after recovering a Green Bay fumble at their own 40-yard line, Detroit drove all the way to the Packers' two. A touchdown there, and the Lions may have put the Packers away with a 17-0 lead. But tight end TJ Hawkinson dropped a pass that he should have made, especially for a highly regarded first-round pick who many NFL observers believe could eventually be the best at his position. The best players make those catches. Then a delay of game penalty pushed Detroit back to the seven, and once again they had to settle for a field goal. 13-0. Three possessions inside the Packers' red zone, hell inside their 10-yard line, and the Lions came away with 13 points when they could have had 21. Even 17 would have built a formidable lead, maybe too much for even Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to overcome at home. Add the other nine points the Lions scored on three more field goals, and they arguably win the game, 27-23. Detroit is fortunate to have such a dependable kicker like Matt Prater. Actually, he's more than dependable. He's actually a formidable weapon, routinely nailing field goals from beyond 50 yards, a distance that's typically difficult for most NFL kickers. Prater even hit two of them Monday night, successfully kicking from 51 and 54 yards. It's a luxury many NFL teams don't have and wish they did. But as great as it is that the Lions have such a reliable weapon, it's one that an NFL offense would rather not use. If a team is scoring field goals, it typically means that it's not scoring touchdowns. Three points instead of seven points? Yeah, that's pretty simple math. And that equation didn't equal a win for Detroit at Lambeau Field Monday night. You know, I'm a grown-ass man. Okay, I'm actually an overgrown baby. But I'm way too old to be emotionally affected by the outcome of a sporting event. Though it still happens more often than I'd like to admit, especially when Michigan football and the Lions are involved. I'm not necessarily proud of how angry I was following the game and how long I was awake afterwards. Of course, it fueled this podcast, and how many other podcasts will respond to this game, not even shows hosted by Lions and Detroit sports fans. But I guess that's part of being a sports fan. The passion is what makes it fun. The pain is what makes it so emotionally resonant. And it makes winning so rewarding if and when it happens. Will that reward ever come for long-suffering Lions fans? I'm still optimistic. There's reason for excitement, but it's infuriating when a winning effort, yes, even one with several mistakes, isn't reflected on the scoreboard or in the standings. Lions fans have dealt with that for far too long, but typically when the team isn't very good. This is a good team, and it shouldn't be deprived by piss-poor officiating and bullshit calls. Let's take a quick break so I can ask you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You might have to search under my name, Ian Castleberry, C-A-S-S-E-L-B-E-R-R-Y, until we get a few more shows in our archive. Also, please leave a rating, or even better, a review if you're so inspired. We can use the signal boost in that big Apple Podcast space. Any feedback you can offer is very much appreciated, and I don't take that time or effort for granted. The podcast is also available for listening, downloads, and subscriptions on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Overcast, iHeartRadio, and there's something called Himalaya now? 
I'll try to get on that if you use it. Oh, and TuneIn. Being on TuneIn means you should be able to listen to this on Amazon Echo, but Alexa can't quite pick up the difference between podcasts and podcast. Yeah, maybe I should have picked a different name. But you can still find us on the TuneIn app and website if that's how you like to listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening and downloading. All right, let's go to my baseball spot from Y Sports Radio on Monday afternoon. It's quite a transition from Detroit Lions disappointment and an NFL rant, but I did talk baseball with Pat Ryan earlier in the day when we discussed the Houston Astros' big win over the New York Yankees in Game 2 of the ALCS Sunday night. Then we looked at the first two games of the NLCS and the Washington Nationals' formidable series lead over the St. Louis Cardinals. That series lead is now 3 to nothing for the Nats after Monday night's 8-1 to win. Sorry, I was watching football. And we closed out with the investigation over Tyler Skaggs' death, which turns up uglier information by the week. This is All right, we go to the Wise Lines and Ian Castleberry joining us. Of course, our Major League Baseball and NFL go-to guy. We're talking baseball today, presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. Ian Castleberry, how are you, bud? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Pat? Great, man. God, there was so much going on this weekend. I kind of forgot there was, you know, the Major League Baseball postseason, which, by the way, is on TBS. I've already talked to a couple of people. They're, like, asking, where can I find the Major League Baseball playoffs? I'm like, well, uh, you know, last night was was a great example of that. I mean, there was so much going on. You had Sunday night football game. You know, if you wanted to watch a uh, succession finale, and then yeah, baseball not doing itself any favors by putting the American League Championship Series on FS1. And uh, yeah, what channel is FS1? I mean, I think that that's probably a really popular Google search <laughs> during. Yeah. Uh, uh, the MLB postseason. Uh, I mean, I could say 826 on, on Spectrum local, but uh, that's not good. That's not good to if uh, fans have to wonder, viewers have to wonder, what channel is the game on? That's that's not good. Yeah, and you know maybe baseball should just avoid uh, football altogether, at least at the NFL, and and not you know have these games go up against you know Sunday night football and and Monday night football like uh it, you know the the National League Championship Series will be tonight baseball's got to figure that out and I mean that's kind of that's just kind of strange I, I know the NLC what was one of the games was on was actually on the Fox network but um you know that's kind of few and far between and we have to kind of search around for uh, a a major league baseball playoff game yeah that's 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 a concern that baseball hopefully will be addressing in, in baseball's defense, though, I mean, there's only so many days of the week, right? If there's there's Thursday night football, there's a oh, don't worry about free, don't worry about Thursday Saturday. night football. <laughs> I mean, really, as long as we keep having suck matchups. Uh, so I mean, you know, they've I think baseball largely avoided the NFL yesterday. You know, game two of uh, the ALCS was on Sunday night. The problem is that it wasn't on the Fox regular Fox network, as opposed to being on FS1. Um, so I mean, I think baseball. Has, for the most part, it has pretty much uh, done what you suggested, but again, not doing itself any favors by sticking it on a on a lower run yeah. cable network. I mean, I love both sports, but if it's between uh, football and baseball, I, I I tend to watch football. 
Um, I check in with baseball, but last night I, I completely blanked on it. I mean, I just completely blanked on it because Pittsburgh was upsetting San Diego with a third string quarterback, but, uh, those things happen. But certainly what a game last night in, uh, in Houston. Carlos Correa, uh, may have very well saved the postseason for his Astros. He had a walk off home run in the 11th inning, giving Houston a split at home in the ALCS against the Yankees. But Ian, it was an amazing defensive play by Correa that even allowed him to be the hero in the 11th inning. Yeah, Carlos Correa is showing why he should be considered one of the best players in baseball, although his uh, injury history, his health, has not allowed him to display those skills as much during the regular season. Correa played only 75 games. I believe he only played three games in September. But, uh, you know, an all-around shortstop who can hit, hit for power, and as we saw uh, in the sixth inning of last night's game, an outstanding defensive player as well, uh, Brett Gardner of the Yankees. He hit a, a, a liner to second base, and, and it got, you know, it ate up uh, Jose Altuve on an in-between hop. Correa ranges all the way over from shortstop to field the ball and then guns down D.J. LeMahieu at home plate. Uh, just a spectacular play, not only just to get to the ball, which was, uh, you know, on the second base side of the bag, and then throw out, DJ LeMahieu by quite a bit to get the Astros out of the inning. Well, I'll tell you what, man, that was, you know, reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the Derek Jeter play. Uh, remember that, uh, kind of flipping that, that errant, uh, throw to home plate, flipping it back over to the catcher and, um, getting that, oh, the A's runner out. Um, that kind of reminiscent of that because those great players come up with these great plays in such key situation so uh now we move the series to new york games uh, three four and five and what chance to give the yanks to sweep at home and move on to the world series uh three games at yankee stadium you gotta like the yankees chances but uh the the astros pitching garrett cole in game three i like their chances at least in game three against luis severino uh cole to shut down the yankees bats uh, at yankee stadium now the game four and five uh, it depends on the pitching matchup, Game 4 is probably going to be Zach Greinke, who did not pitch well in his uh, start in the NLDS versus the Tampa Bay Rays. Masahiro Tanaka uh, has been good uh, in the postseason thus far. So you might you might tip that toward toward the Yankees or, you know, does Zach Greinke uh, shake off a bad start, pitch well in New York? But Game 5, I think, it is really going to be curious. You know, do the Astros start Justin Verlander again on short rest? That didn't go so well last time. Uh, do the Yankees start James Paxton on short rest, or do they go with J.A. Happ? Who happened to give up the, the walk-off home run to Carlos Correa uh, in Game 2? So I, I like the Astros' chances to at least get one of the three games in Yankee Stadium and for this series to go back to Houston. Boy, if it goes back to Houston, man, uh, you know, you got to like the Astros' chance. I just have this funny feeling like New York's got to just basically get, get it taken care of at home. Or, uh, you know, I, I can see the Astros coming from behind to win that. Uh, by the way, uh, it, well, I'll, I'll, I'll save this because I don't know if you're hearing Blades' is, um, feature just before you. Uh, but Brian brought up something interesting that I will hold uh, in, in, until the end. As Ian Castleberry joining <laughs> the Wise Guys, presented by Vistanet Telecommunications right here in Asheville. All right, the Nationals made playoff history in St. Louis in winning games one and two, again, on the road. In doing so, Annabelle Sanchez and Mark Scherzer each had no hit after five innings, and Ian, that makes them uh, the first duo of postseason history with back-to-back starts of at least five no-hit innings against the same team. But I thought they did that about five years ago. Um, you can clarify that if you don't mind. But Ian, um, yeah, again, that's not the first time they've been just amazing 
in the postseason and certainly sets up a potential nat sweep with Steven Strasburg on the mound. We'll get to that in just a moment. But your thoughts on the games one and two pitching performance by Annabelle Sanchez and Mark Scherzer. Uh, this is exactly what the Nationals needed uh, to get seven innings, let alone no-hit innings, out, out of Sanchez and Scherzer. You know, if the Nationals uh, take this all the way, even if they get to the World Series, it's really amazing to me they're going to do this without a bullpen. Davey Martinez is terrified to go to his bullpen. He needs his starters to go seven innings and, and or maybe even eight and then give, give over to uh, Sean Doolittle or use one of the starters. Uh, out of the bullpen. I think he really has only two relievers that he trusts right now, Sean Doolittle and Daniel Hudson. And Daniel Hudson was, was uh, unavailable over the weekend uh, because of the birth uh, uh, of his child. But you're, you, as you pointed out, Max Scherzer and uh, Annabelle Sanchez both uh, pitched uh, at least five no-hit innings for a team for their team in a series. It happened to be the 2013 ALCS for the Detroit Tigers against the Boston Red Sox. Both uh, Scherzer and Sanchez pitched uh, at least five no-hit innings. That 20, you know, Tigers fans hear that, and I, and I think they just want to jump off a bridge because that 2013 team. You know, you had Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Annabelle Sanchez, Doug Fister, Rick Porcello, who went on to win a, a Cy Young Award with the Red Sox. That was the, the, their rotation, and they, they lost to the Red Sox in the ALCS, uh, perhaps most memorably uh, David Ortiz's grand slam off uh, Joaquin Benoit uh, in Game 2. Jim Leland retired after that season. I think he really thought that was uh, the Tigers' best chance. If they weren't going to win it then, were they going to win it at all? Yeah, and by the way, uh, this is what Blades wanted me to point out because he, he, he suffers like you do as a Tigers fan. Scherzer, Sanchez, and Verlander all pitched with the Tigers in 2013. I mean, yeah. when you hear that, Ian, when you think about that, how does that make you feel? It's, it's tough. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it didn't bother me as much at the time because I thought, you know, let's appreciate this team for what it is. We've still got great baseball. You know, we got MVP and Cy Young winners out of uh, Justin Verlander and Miguel Cabrera. But, yeah, that 2013 team especially, I, I really think they, they uh, let one get by them. That team uh, should have won the World Series, I think, and, and they stumbled against the Red Sox because of a bullpen, something that Dave Dombrowski, when he was uh, the Tigers general manager uh, and team president, just could never get a, a bullpen together. And that's a problem that followed him. Uh, over to Boston, other than uh, getting Craig Kimbrell. Dombrowski has always had trouble putting together a bullpen. It, it arguably cost uh, the Red Sox this year. It certainly cost the Tigers uh, in 2013. Uh, indeed, it did, man. Oh, boy. Uh, the Nats, though, looking good as a potential uh, boy. Who thought they'd be in the World Series when it, when it was like we were talking about them in June? Um, not us, <laughs> that's for sure. They were 19 and 31 at one point. Yeah, man. And Martinez's job, you know, you're starting like, is he on the hot seat? Well, no longer, for sure. And they did it without Bryce Harper, which is one reason Gabe Kapler's no longer the Phillies manager uh, anymore. Uh, but, but Ian, uh, great pitching matchup tonight. As I mentioned, Jack Flaherty goes up against uh, Steven Strasburg. Now, other than an, an anticipated uh, low-scoring game, how do you see this one playing out tonight? This is a must-win game for the Cardinals. The down 0-2 in this NLCS. Jack Flaherty has been uh, very good in his two uh, starts so far this postseason. Strasburg has been good as well, but he's coming off uh, that Game 5 of the NLDS where he gave up three runs to the Dodgers in the first inning. Uh, he eventually toughed it out and uh, ended up pitching 
a pretty good game after getting uh, giving up those three runs. Strasburg has, has been outstanding this postseason. I, I, I want to say the Nats are going to win this game. Uh, but again, this is a must win for the Cards. If Steven Strasburg doesn't go at least six, seven innings, again, Davey Martinez does not trust that Nationals bullpen. He can't use uh, Patrick Corbin out of the bullpen. Corbin is going to start game four. Scherzer just, just uh, pitched. Would he be available? Uh, so you're, you're running into a problem here with uh, not trusting your bullpen and having to depend on starting pitchers. Uh, I, I want to say the Nats uh, based on Strasburg, but I, I think you have to give it to the Cardinals tonight or at least look for them to win tonight. All right. Well, uh, we'll see how, again, how that uh, will will play out. And, and uh, Ian Castleberry with the Wise Guys talking Major League Baseball presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. And, Ian, the death of Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs from a few months ago from an overdose is turning into an episode of Law and Order. What's the latest on this investigation into his passing this story gets sadder and sadder i mean you knew when uh tyler skaggs uh when it was revealed that he passed away uh we didn't know why and then we found out it was because of uh mixing opioids and alcohol and he just knew there was a darker side to this story and then uh ESPN's TJ Quinn did an investigation uh, report for uh, Outside the Lines, and he reported that uh, DEA agents uh, and investigators learned that an Angels employee regularly provided Skaggs with uh, oxycodone. And uh, Kay also told investigators that at least five other players allegedly used opioids while they were with the Angels, uh, presumably meaning that some of those players are no longer with uh, the Angels, but uh, Eric Kay, the current Angels Director of Communications, you have to wonder if Jeez. he's soon to be former yeah. Angels Director of Communications, uh, also said that two other Angels employees knew of Skaggs' issues uh, with opioids, and he had uh, oxycodone and fentanyl in his system, uh, which Kay insists that he did not supply Skaggs uh, on the night uh, he passed away, but uh, was a regular provider, supplier two skags uh, of those opioids. Oh, man. Uh, looks like baseball is going to be getting involved once again on this. This could turn criminal. Um, dang, that that's a twist for sure. We'll, we'll keep everyone posted on that as, as uh, that continues to develop. And, Ian, can't thank you enough as always, man. Appreciate you. Uh, back at it on uh, Wednesday with baseball, Thursday with football. Uh, Jordan and Charlie going to be handling it. I'll be out um, starting Wednesday uh, for a week, my friend. So you and I will catch up in about another week and a half. Okay, enjoy uh, your vacation. Hey, real quick, uh, you Quickly. mentioned uh, Gabe Kapler. He's yes. going to interview for the Cubs managerial position this week. Yeah, good luck there. That'll be a nice interview. <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. <laughs> okay, thanks for playing, dude. <laughs> thanks, Ian. <laughs> thanks, buddy. Ian Castleberry, presented by Vistanet Telecommunications. Yeah, there was a little bit more Detroit sports misery there with lamenting the 2013 Detroit Tigers losing to the Boston Red Sox in the American League Championship Series. It's a natural connection to draw with that team having Max Scherzer and Anibal Sanchez on its pitching staff too. Scherzer won the Cy Young Award as the American League's best pitcher that season. Both of those guys are on the Nationals now and may pitch that team to a World Series championship, something the 2013 Tigers couldn't win. That was pretty much the end of the Tigers' run as American League and World Series contenders. Manager Jim Leland retired after the season. Scherzer left as a free agent the following year after Detroit had one more shot in 2014, even adding pitcher David Price to their killer starting rotation, but lost in the divisional playoffs to the Baltimore Orioles. Okay, that's the podcast. Enough Detroit sports pain for one podcast. 
If you're not big on an all-sports podcast, I apologize for the lack of pop culture. My original plan was to also talk about the Succession Season 2 finale and review Gemini Man, but the lion's rant drained me. Unless other stuff comes up, I'll hit those on Friday's show, even though they'll be about a week behind. And of course, we'll have baseball and football talk via Y Sports Radio. I hope you'll tune in, or listen and download. You know what I mean. The podcast is also on Instagram at the podcast, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-S, or you can reach out to me personally at Ian Cass, I-A-N-C-A-S-S. Any feedback, good or bad, that can help improve the show would be very much appreciated. I'd love to hear from you. If it's something we can use on the podcast, even better. Until we meet again, stay strong and eat healthy. You are amazing. And don't watch sports. They cause too much unnecessary outrage and disappointment. Read a book, watch a movie or TV show, take up knitting. You'll probably be happier. <laughs>